Welcome everybody to the One to Go show. It is Puka, once again joined by Bert Lehman and Ryan Hill. Well, with special circumstances here tonight. We told you we were going to start hooking up with Zoom and going live, or not necessarily going live, but recording these. And uh, so obviously you're going to see this a little bit time delayed, but here we are. Uh, Ryan Hill and Bert Lehman. Welcome, fellas. Good to see you guys. Absolutely. Good to see you. That's the first time I've done the One to Go show sitting. I hope the oil going on. I, I, I see hope we don't break uh, the camera, though. <laughs> I, I got to be honest. I feel bad, guys, because I got this big old ugly chair behind me. Not that it's ugly. It's been like my best friend for a couple weeks here. But uh, Bert, he's all set up, man. He's got like a, a small, small portion of his die cast on there. And I think we're going to have to have a special episode at some point to see all of his die cast because he's got quite the collection. So um, hats off to Bert. I think he wins the the background of the of the night award there. So. Hats off to Bert Lehman for that. So, um, Puka, what's going on, man? What, what, what's, uh, what's on your mind here tonight? Well, yeah, I guess we'll get into it with iRacing as, you know, that seems to be the only racing and, and in a lot of respects, the only, a lot of the only competition that's going on out there. And, uh, you know, we just, there were some headlines this week we can talk about. We see the Lucas Oil has now decided to put, throw their hat in the ring with the iRacing. Their first race is coming up here April 10th at Knoxville. Either of you have a comment on the uh, Lucas Oil Series late model. Well, they're following suit. You know, I, I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of this iRacing racing deal. I was talking to a buddy of mine, Johnny Broking, as earlier today, and he loves iRacing. racing. He's been doing it, but I guess there has to be something to kind of keep people engaged. I'm just hoping that too many young people don't get so addicted to it that they just don't want to go to the racetrack anymore. So I'm a little nervous about that, but you know, they're just following suit, and it seems to be working well. In a great way to kind of give a little recognition to some of the sponsors that are partnering up for some of these events and some of the series. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that uh, Lucas is following suit just from the standpoint that, uh, you know, there are no live events right now. This is what we, this is all that we have. So if you want to see live racing, it's got it's going to be virtual racing, but I do want to comment. You know, I did watch the sprint car, the World of Outlaw sprint car and late model iRacing last week. And I mean, it's very realistic, but it didn't have the realism that the NASCAR iRacing did, does, in, in my opinion. I mean, I think Ryan mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, if you didn't know better, when you watch the NASCAR iRacing, you would think you're actually watching a real NASCAR race live, uh, where you can tell it's, it's a computer game with uh, sprint cars and dirt late models, but it's still pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. And the fact is, I mean, sprint cars are kind of sliding around and they're up on the cushion and they're doing some different things. So it's probably a little tougher to simulate that. But the, the asphalt stuff, it's crazy. I was actually talking, guys, uh, to Bobby Archer. Uh, he lives down in Texas. And for, for, you, for those of you up in uh, the northern part, you know the Archer name. Him and Tommy had a storied career in the road racing deal. And I was talking to him about the iRacing, and I said, oh, man, you know, this video game racing. He's like, well, well, Ryan, this is not a video game. It's a simulator. And, and like, he's all correcting me, and I'm like, wait a second here. I never thought Bobby Archer would be talking about this. And they actually, they, they have some iRacing for the road racing series, and there's people all over the country in that, or all over the world. He's, he talked about people all over the world. It's crazy. He said that they are even tuning their cars to like a half a pound of air pressure and the, the people that are really experienced with it can tell the difference. And I'm like, that is just nuts to me. So I'm a little nervous by that because 
man, that's a, a high school is you can put a ton of money into that, but you're not going to crash it. Right. So you're not working on the car all week long. So I'm, I'm really hoping some people don't get too addicted to not having to do that, but you really can't as a racer, you can't really simulate the, what it's like to be racing in, in front of a crowd. Um, back in the day when we had a packed crowd, you know, Cedar Lake Speedway, for example, they had the world of outlaws there and the super stocks ran with, and there's, 5,000 people in the grandstands. I'm here to tell you that you get a certain feeling when you win in front of that many people. And when you win on a video game, even though there's a bunch of people that might be watching, you know, some of the people that are highly competitive, you, you just can't duplicate that. That's for sure. And this week I was reading, I, we've talked about Ty Majeski a lot uh, on this show. And, uh, you know, he's been racing with the, with the top NASCAR drivers the last few weeks in iRacing. But apparently uh, NASCAR has created a rule now where you have to race against drivers in your, your division. So he's got to race with the truck drivers. And uh, it was interesting in his interview, he mentioned that a lot of the experts thought that, you know, he was a favorite to win even against the NASCAR drivers. But what he said was he considered himself an underdog because, yes, he has a lot of iRacing experience. But he has iRacing experience racing super late models, not NASCAR, uh, NASCAR cup cars. So, yeah, I mean, that, apparently that's how realistic the game is. Yeah, you, you're right on, Bert. And, and uh, it was a difference. He still ran well. I think he crashed out of the last one. But uh, I'm pretty confident that if he was good in the other one, that he'd probably – it wouldn't have taken him too long. Right. To be really good there. So uh, – you know, for the marketing side and the advertising and everything they're doing, you know, trying to promote the sponsors, I think they kind of booted him out because they didn't want him taking the thunder away from some of the cup guys. So, hey, I'm going to jump off here. Uh, we got our guest speaker. I'm going to go ahead and see if I can get him on here. So I'll let you guys visit for a minute. I'll be right back. All right, Bert. Well, I was going to say, you know, Ryan was talking about that, you know, simulators and everything. And uh, just before this tonight, I I uh, put the Oculus, my kid's got an Oculus now, and I put that on for some racing, and man, I couldn't believe what that was like, just going through, and, and you know, I got the steering wheel in the air, and I know Ryan has talked a little bit about the, uh, the eye racing, how touchy, you know, some of that steering is and stuff, and, and wow, I, I don't know if you've ever tried it, but I, I no, I haven't, I, was, I'm, a, I'm actually scared to try it, because I'm afraid that if I try it, then I'm going to want to buy one, and <laughs> Uh, I mean, I can remember back in the 90s, you know, I bought uh, the Bill Elliott racing game for my IBM computer, and you had to use the arrow keys on the keyboard to steer the car, and it, it, wasn't, fun. it wasn't very fun. I didn't play it much because it wasn't realistic, and yeah. that's, what I'm, that's why I'm afraid to try iRacing because I'm afraid it's going to be too realistic. and <laughs> Too much fun. And, but yeah, this thing was yeah. <laughs> touchy you know and my kids are already pretty good at it you know they, of course they've had plenty of time but you know I said give me that thing I want to try it it was interesting to kind of you know see that whole thing and 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 yeah I mean I don't know I mean we you know I saw some of the stuff on Facebook with like Bloomquist I mean he you know he he said it's going to take him a while I saw an interview where it'll take him a while to figure it out too so mm -hmm. um yeah that was interesting I, I agree with both of you and you as an advertising guy you know my concern a little bit for some of these series some of these not so much the well, even the tracks a little bit, but more so the series and drivers is, you know, you've done, you've been in the advertising world. I've been in the advertising world, you know, some of this money that's already been laid out there, you know, they need this iRacing to get some exposure. Otherwise I'm worried that some of these 
sponsors, advertisers might start clawing back some of that money saying, look, we did this with, you know, by this time of year, we expected X number of fans, X number of exposures, whatever, X number of races. We've only gotten a fraction of that. Maybe we need, you know, a quarter. Well, and well, and, you know, this is something that we haven't talked about, but, you know, sponsors, you know, they, they give up money for a year of racing, but now that they're not racing, you know, these, you know, they're expecting a return and the, the teams use this money to pay their pick through and stuff. But obviously, you know, if, if the sponsors want to return, then the teams can't pay their, their employees. And yeah, it's, it's not a great situation. <laughs> yeah. no, well, guys, I, I actually got our guest speaker on here. Herm, can you hear us? Hold on one sec. <laughs> All right, Herb, can you hear us? I hear you great. Awesome, awesome. Well, I tell you what, guys, uh, we got uh, the one and only Herminator Kenny Wallace on here with us. Uh, Kenny, how you doing, man? Doing really good. Sitting on the couch, watching uh, Netflix, watching Formula One Drive to Survive. And then after this, we're going to do another radio show. What's going on? Is everybody and uh, we're, we're all trying to entertain each other. <laughs> and, and I tell you what, you got them uh, little Facebook Lives that you do about every single day, and uh, that's entertaining all by itself. So I appreciate that. It's keeping everybody positive. Well, you know, just, just do one post per day. You know, that that's plenty. And, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, what you do, you, you, go, you get up, you drink coffee, you go through your day, and, you just try to stay in touch with everybody, and and it's fun for me. I just enjoy it. You know, I'm a I'm a people person, and uh, you know, just kind of say what's on my mind and try to keep it positive and happy. And it, it works for me. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, well, Herb, we're actually here. We got Puka on. He's uh he's the host of the show, and we got Bert Lehman. Bert actually interviewed you when you're over in Eastern Wisconsin. So, uh, Bert and uh, Puka, why don't you say hi to Kenny? Hi, Kenny. How are you doing tonight? Doing really good, buddy. Trying to make it through this. Uh, it seems like some crazy dream. I, I feel like I'm on house arrest, and never in my life, you know, did I think we'd go through anything like this. But I will say that, you know, what we're going through with this coronavirus and everybody in quarantine and having to stay in their homes and only go out for essentials, you know, I, it gives me a small peek inside, in just a very small peek, nothing like, you know, back in during the wars or the Depression. And now, you know, I understand just a little bit of what, you know, it was like, you know, uh, you know, we were so spoiled for years and life was wonderful. Now this gives me a little bit of glimpse in history of what it was like, you know, maybe in the Depression or during the you know, World War, uh, you know, with uh, Japan and uh, just an uh, incredible situation where, you know, the world, not just the United States, but, you know, this is a worldwide virus. You know, the, the whole world is shut down. So, hell, you know, the whole Earth, the complete globe Earth has, has an, an issue right now, which that's just unheard of. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you're exactly right. It really gives us an appreciation for the things that we actually, you know, that we do have and the, you know, the, the I guess the luxuries that we do have and the fact that we can race, right? The fact that we're able to go do them things 
you know, I think maybe we'll think differently about things once this deal is all said and done. You know, in my lifetime, there, there's been one thing that was totally changed for the rest of my life, and that was, you know, 9-11 for all of us. And, you know, how do we go to the airports now? You know, I remember just like yesterday, 20 years ago or so, or 22 years ago, you know, I would leave my house about a you know, 40 minutes before my airplane would take off, right, the commercial airplane. I'd go to the airport, and I'd go to the gate, and I'd jump right on the airplane. And now, you know, our life is forever changed because of the 911. And, and now our life is doing forever changes again. You know, we're, 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 even if they find a virus, you know, from here on out, I won't be shaking hands anymore. I'll be washing my hands. I'll be practicing. You know, I won't be up in people's faces anymore. I won't be giving people hugs. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be a different life from here on out. Hey, come on now. I can't imagine the Herminator not up in people's faces. I, I don't know. I That's going to be tough for you. <laughs> well, I'll definitely be talking and entertaining, but it, it, it'd be from six feet away, you know, or three <laughs> feet away. And, you know, from from what I understand, of course, I've done my due diligence like you all have. And, you know, the only way you can get the coronavirus is it's got to go, you know, in your mouth, in your nostrils, in your eyes. Someone in your offices, your home, of your body. So, you know, they say if you touch things and then you go to, you know, put your hand on your face. So, well, that's the first thing I'm trying to do is that I'm just not used to that. I mean, we all, not even knowing it, touch our faces. So, that's been hard for me to get used to. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Bert, I know that you had a you had a question there for Kenny. I'll, I'll let you kind of fire away, and then I, I got a couple things I wanted to chat about too. So, Bert, floor is yours. Yeah, uh, I interviewed you a few years ago when you raced at the Clash at the Creek at 141 Speedway, and one thing that you told me has stuck in my mind. You said that Wisconsin short track racing, Wisconsin is the epicenter of short track racing. What, in your experience, has brought you to believe that? Well, I don't believe it. I know it. Uh, you know, in, in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, we all know. I mean, I'm 56 years old, so we know that, you know, in the summertime, Wisconsin, you raced every single night except on Monday nights. You know, whether it was, uh, you know, Sawyer, Wausau, you know, lacrosse, Golden Sands, you name it. And I remember, you know, Dick Trickle always telling me that the only night that he took off was Monday night. And you know, Tom Ruffner, Dick Trickle, you know, all those guys that raced for a living. Joe Shear, maybe, you know, driving for Fred B. Nielsen. Uh, you know, they raced. That's what they did for a living. And then in the wintertime, you know, Trickle, you know, he raced snowmobiles. And uh, so I will always remember that. And uh, I do know that the great racers of Wisconsin are an engineering mind. You know, they don't copy anybody. They they kind of do things on their own, whether it's Mike Miller or, like I said, Tom Refner or any of the greats, you know, uh, you know, out, out of the complete Wisconsin area. Those I learned so much as a young kid, you know, about Wisconsin. Did you travel uh, through Wisconsin uh, during Rusty's ASA days? Oh, yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, you know, uh, you know I, I did a little bit of my own racing. You know, whether it was just you know, the red, white, and blue series at Kirkconnell or, 
you know, whether we race there at Madison, which is the other track where I got to mention, and, uh, you know, Milwaukee and Slinger and, uh, you know, St. Paul, Minnesota, and, uh, and then, of course, I went, you know, to Lake Geneva, went around the drag strip, just like a flat as a pancake. That was with my brother, Rusty, and, uh, uh, yeah, we did a lot of racing, you know, and, uh, you know, but up a walk all years ago, and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, if I didn't race there, you know, it, I, I definitely learned everything from being with my brother, Rusty. So, you got to remember when I went, when I was working with Rusty, you know, that was in the late 70s, and that was right, you know, everything was still hot and heavy, and there was still local racing, and, you know, drivers, there were several drivers still racing for a living on the local, uh, you know, area, in the local area in the late 70s, you know, you had guys still running the contracts for a living, you know, they, you know, they're making, you know, maybe making 150 bucks profit a night, you know, times five nights, that was, you know, 500, $600, you know, that's how they made a living, so uh, I know all that, I learned that. Hey, Kenny, this is Puka. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Before I get to my question, I just want to let you know I'm wearing my special St. Louis Blues uh, jersey, signed jersey, just uh, Stanley Cup champion signed jersey just for you tonight. Thank you, brother. That means a lot. Well, we, we know Wisconsin We know Wisconsin doesn't have a hockey team, but, you know, they, they got, you know, a great, uh, you know, baseball team, the Brewers, and, of course, you guys got a basketball team, and so I appreciate you wearing that. Yeah, thanks. Like I said, thanks again for joining us. And the question I wanted to ask is, it seemed like you had a special bond with Dale Earnhardt Sr. and kind of the whole Earnhardt family. You know, you know, Dale obviously had a brand. He was kind of a character. You know, and there's, there's people that say NASCAR's, you know, popularity is fading because we don't have characters like we used to. Do you, do you agree with that? statement and you know whether you agree or not we know nascar maybe you could even relate it to a lot of racing is it's kind of on the decline do you have any ideas on, on how to maybe stop the bleeding you know i gotta tell you something um i simply do not buy in that it's all nascar you know go, go to slinger go to madison go to rockford any of those tracks you know i know for a fact i was in down wisconsin a couple of years ago I mean, Wisconsin short track racing is all but done. We know that. I've been there. I raced, you know, two years ago. So it's not just a NASCAR thing. You know, did NASCAR do anything wrong? Yes, they're to blame for a very small fraction. But, you know, once again, you know, it is, it's what I call a societal theft. All racing, all of it, every bit of it is, is you know, dying. You know, the only thing left, which is very interesting, is the special events. When you go to dirt racing, uh, you know, you see, you know, El Dorado. There's, they have record crowds for the big races, whether it's the Dream or whether it's, you know, the World 100. You go to, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina in November. When you, you see, you know, the World, the, the Dirt Finals, it's record crowds. It's 23,000 people. Now, that's what's pretty crazy. It is confusing because the, the big events are sold out. But it's the local short track racing in Wisconsin that's all but dead. Now, when you follow asphalt short track racing, once again, the specials, the snowball derby, standing room only, sold out. But 
it is sad that, you know, there's there's so much to do now, right? So there's eye racing, there's paintball, there's TV, there's cell phones, there's computers. There's all these things that keep kids from liking racing. Years ago, we went to the racetrack because there was nothing to do. And now, you know, there's just so much to do. But uh, yeah, NASCAR is to blame for some of it because we all know that they are the boss. They are the leader. When, when NASCAR is doing good, short track is doing good, you know. So we all, all the short track racers, racers, we look at NASCAR as our bosses. So we just, we really, truly want NASCAR to be good because we, we feel like we're not going to draw everybody back to our short track. So there's a lot more to it than just NASCAR is my feel. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think we can definitely do some things to change that. We just got to get a little bit creative on how we get people to the racetrack. And, hey, speaking of uh, speaking of the short track stuff, I understand you won your first ever track championship this year. Is that correct? Uh, no. I won the 2012, uh, you know, Summer National Championship. This year, I didn't win anything. I, okay. I, I thought I saw well, something I on Facebook. You, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. I was trying to figure it out. This was the first time I ever ran a local racetrack. So from the start of my career, I ran ASA, 1986, 87, 88. And then in 89, all the way up to 2015, I raced in, you know, NASCAR, right? I never in my life ever ran a local short track racing. Ever. Never even ran a local short track event unless it was like a show. So this was the first year at 56 years old where I ran a local short track. And I, and I wasn't even on all races, but I ran enough of them to where I finished fourth in the local points. And so the racetrack called me up and they said, hey, Kenny, you finished fourth in our points, would you come to our banquet? I said, all right. I said, I love it. I'll be right there. And they gave me a damn trophy and like 250 bucks and drank a lot of beer. It was a big time. Nice. Hey, I got to How did you get started? What was your first ever dirt track race? Well, that's pretty crazy. Actually, my very first race ever in my life. Uh, 1982, it was Springfield, Illinois, the one-mile dirt track. About 110 cars entered, and I won the damn race. Uh, had a hell of a battle with Raymond Stott's boy, and I won the race. It was just, I was hurrying with my brother, Rusty, but my, my brother, Mike, had a good friend named Pat Walsh, and he had a street stock car, and it was called the Illinois Street Stock State Championship. And I won the damn thing, and that was crazy. Won like $800, had a nice big trophy. I still have to stay. That was in 82. Then I just went back to, you know, crewing and, you know, being a crew chief in NASCAR in 1984. Um, but, you know, that was my very first race ever. So I did it in 82, and then never ran another race again until 86. My very first race on asphalt ever. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. Uh, my very first race on asphalt ever, ever, was uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. My very first 
AFA race, and uh, then that would be it. Man, that is crazy. Not many people say they can win the first time out. So speaking of winning, I got to ask you this. You know, what What meant more to you, winning the 2005 Prelude to the Dream or pushing Earnhardt to his last win there at Talladega? Which one uh, Which one holds more memory to you? Well, definitely running second at Talladega just because it was so monumental. Uh, you know, it was, it was a race. I mean, first of all, I'll never forget the Prelude to the Dream. You know, and you bring up a good point. It is a great question to compare those two because personally, the 2005 Prelude to the Dream was, was probably about my seventh or eighth time ever on dirt. I, I was learning that, and I got to where I knew what I was doing. And uh, I'll never forget it. Kenny Schrader said, we all got to go up and run this Prelude to the Dream. And I'm like, we're not. And I had never even been to Eldora before. I hardly even knew what Eldora was because I remember I'm all asphalt. I didn't know much about, you know, dirt racing at that time. Even though my family grew up on dirt, my dad, my brother, Mike, you know, Rusty was always, you know, asphalt. But, you know, I didn't really know the in-depth of dirt racing. So we go to the Prima to the Dream to go to Eldora, and I win the damn race. And it was great. But I, I didn't really realize, you know, Tony was on my ass. He ran second. You know, then you had Danny the Dugosowski in third. You know, Bill Elliott in fourth and Schrader in fifth. And it really wasn't until two years later I realized how much of an accomplishment that was. And, and I will tell you why I won that race. Because my car was incredible. It was a CJ Raymond car. It was what they call a cantilever car. It had like 20 high joints in the rear. The right rear spring laid, laid down. Uh, and it was definitely a, it really came up off the corner wide open every lap. Never spun a tire. And when I was in the room, Tony Stewart said to me, what was that all about? And I said, Tony, I don't have any idea. The thing was all ass. So, uh, you know, and, and I will tell you, when I won that race at Eldora, the track reminded me a lot of, Winchester and Salem on asphalt. You know, I had some great advice. They said, when you drive all door, drive the streets and don't get sideways. And I can tell you, that really helped me. It really did. I really got that, you know, because, you know, El door is so big that you don't want to be sideways, you know. And uh, Tony had the track kind of dry slick. And uh, so that, that was a big deal for me personally. But, you know, for a for a money and things that really, you know, catapulted my career, there's no doubt. You know, when, when Dale Earnhardt Sr. got out of his car at Victor Lane, you know, for the Winston 500 in 2000, we got on TV and told everybody the this race was Kenny Wallace. I didn't expect that coming. And, you know, uh, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, I can imagine. I can't. That, that must have been a big moment for you right there. And I remember you came up to Hibbing, um, man, this is about 10 years ago when I was on the board at the Hibbing Raceway. You got to run three different cars up there. Um, you got to run that El Camino. Remember that bad boy? Loved it. Man, I'll never forget it. Uh, that was – Hibbing was one of the best experiences of my life because if you remember, I, the promoter said to me, what do you want to run? I said, I'll run every car you got. So I kept my helmet on all night long. Now, you know this is accurate. 
And I got in a super late model, a really good one. And I was stuck at that son of a bitch. I bought one the damn race. In, you know, a super late model. And then I got in the modified, and I started tending my heat. I got up the third, but the whole rear clip broke off, even though I finished third in the heat race. And so we had to park the car. The whole damn rear clip fell off the car. There was not a bar connected to the roll cage. To this day, I've never seen anything like it. So wasn't the seatbelt hooked to that, too? Yes, yes, you're exactly right. The seatbelt was hooked to the rear clip, and every time I would get on the gas, I would lose my grip, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Well, the, 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 the whole clip was trying to fall off, and the seatbelt was the only thing really holding it on, besides the, you know, the trailing arm, you know, the radius rods. And, yeah, the damn thing, I'd get on the gas, I'd lose my grip because the seatbelt was tightening up on me. And then I go off the gas and they loosen up. Could not figure that out. So anyway, we had to park the El, park had to park the mod. Then I got the El Camino and just had the time of my life. So let me tell you about that El Camino. Around twelve o'clock that day, I'm, I'm across the street in the Hardens, and this kid comes up to me and I'm signing autographs. And he says, "Kenny Walsh, will you drive my car?" And I said, "Money, I said, it's gonna have to soon." And I just, and he goes, "Come go get it." I said, "Yeah." Kid was just a sweetheart. He went and got that El Camino and brought it to that that uh, you know Hardy's across the street from Denny's, and it had a really nice curtain seat in it. I said, "Oh yeah, I'll drive it." Good seatbelt, and I tell you, I had to say, at the entire time, one of the fun I ever drove was straight stock. Yeah, I, I I remember you saying I've never seen an El Camino race car before. That was that was that was pretty crazy for sure. And uh, you now when you you raced all over the place, when you go to these places, do you get to kind of see all the different scenic stuff? My, my buddy Rick Canada was on the board, and I think didn't he bring you to Bob Dylan's house in a couple places too? Well, what was great about him was I was able to go to the biggest you know line hole in the world, right? Where, they create, I guess, lines. Is that what they make? Oh, they, uh, make they actually make pack of up there. Yeah, that 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 was unbelievable. Besides the Grand Canyon, I've never seen a hole that big in my life. And then uh, I learned that that was uh, the home of uh, what a Greyhound buses. Yeah. And then also the home of the great Boston uh, Celtics. Uh, was it McHale? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, hitting, uh, that was really cool for me to go there. Pretty big moment in my life. And then I'll never forget, you know, I came in commercial airplane. And, I mean, that, that place is right before Canada. I mean, damn, it was way up there. And uh, just had a really good time. I really enjoyed myself at hitting. Yeah, we enjoyed having you up there for sure. You know, and, and you got to you got to have quite the – on-air presence too. I mean, I'm not only a talented race car driver, but with your time with Speed Channel, you got to really interview a lot of different people. And I mean, I honestly liked watching that as much as I liked watching the race. And uh, I, I saw a little clip of you with Ric Flair. Yeah, I think that's something. <laughs> you know, I, I, I always dream about these silly little things my whole life. I get stuck on silly little sayings or I imitate people and you know, everybody can tell you all these little quirks I got. So I would always act like I'm Rick Fair just for the hell of it, you know, because I was bored or something. 
Well, Speed TV, they set me up, and I didn't know it. We were live on the air, coming back from commercial break for the Coke 600 at Charlotte, or, you know, the O's 600, whatever the hell they call it that time. And uh, John Robbins, the host, we come back from commercial break. Hey, Kenny, do it. So I said, no, no. Now, mind you, I said, okay, and I did it. And I'll be damned if I don't turn my head and come coming up on the stage of the great Ric Flair. And I went, oh, oh, my God. So I played the part. I got on my knees and I begged for forgiveness. He was just like they would. And he loved it. Everything, you know, I mean, you know, we, we never done, we never done anything together. But he was down on his other. And Rick was, Rick Flair, I'd always seen on a commercial airplane. You know, St. Louis is, was the home of big wrestling matches on Sunday called Wrestling at the Chase. So it would be pretty common for me to see Rick Flair flying back from Charlotte, North Carolina to St. Louis. And I would see Rick in passing over there. But yeah, that was, that was funny. Well, there's a lot on YouTube about those great shows. Thought you see you. You can YouTube that in Kenny Wallace and Rick Flair. It's funny as hell, man. You learn right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, I, I mean, that. I think that's what NASCAR needs, right? I think NASCAR needs to bring a show like that back, you know, and have a personality like you because you actually, I, in my honest opinion, like you actually created a lot of excitement for NASCAR with some of the things you did beforehand. I mean, I think that would really help the sport a lot. Well, you know, uh, you know, I'll brag funny, but I will tell you the truth. You know, my hand on a Bible, that's what they all called me and told me. You know, uh, you know when you look at Burton Smith's son, Marcus, Marcus Smith owns all the racetracks and runs them now. He doesn't own them, but he runs them. So Marcus Smith owns Charlotte Motor Speedway, Texas Motor Speedway, Bristol, you know, Sonoma, uh, Texas. And, and he got a hold of me and said, man, we, you know, when, when 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 Fox TV got rid of Speed, and they took, you know, they had, they had to get rid of the show because it was eight hundred thousand dollars a weekend to have all those tractor trailers, all those people there. Well, it was okay as long as it was on Speed, but when when Fox TV said, "Hey, we got to get rid of Speed because we're going to start FS1," it killed NASCAR. It it ruined it because well, here's why. People would show up at the racetracks at eight o'clock in the morning to beat the crowd, and and they, but, you know, we have two and five thousand people, and at Texas, sometimes we have as many as ten thousand people. We we had a big screen, like a movie theater screen. So, cause that that is where all the fans went to at say eight thirty nine in the morning, you know, because we're on we're on you know we're on West Coast time, so you know that was that was like eleven o'clock on the East Coast or ten o'clock at. Wisconsin or vice versa, you know. So you're right. I mean, and you're not right because I'm, I was on the show. You're right because that's that's what they tell me, and it did kill it killed the entertainment value. And you know, we we would have fun fifty percent of the time, or I would say thirty percent of the time, and then we'd entertain, have really intelligent conversations. You know, the fans loved it, and it gave them somewhere to go before the races would start. 
Yeah, absolutely. And in wrestling, I mean, if you think about it, they say, hey, this ain't wrestling. This is sports entertainment. And uh, that's really what racing needs to look at on all levels is hey, this ain't racing. This is motorsports entertainment. And uh, them are the kind of things that I think we really need to take part in. Hey, I know that you said that you had a meeting at 832, don't you? 8.30, I got another show to do. Yep, Trevor Gundecker calling me up to interview me, uh, part of the Gundecker family, and uh, they run the Tri-City Speedway here at, uh, in Granite City, Illinois, and it's 8.20. Yeah, I'll and, be here about three minutes. Speaking of Gundakers, they actually, uh, they were down in St. Louis, and they put the track together. I mean, talk about the Gateway Nationals. What What is that event like for you in your hometown as far as entertainment value goes, what's your thoughts on that? It's epic. It turned out to be a, a must-be event. You know, we're in the middle of December. And there's nothing to do anywhere in the United States. and it, It's the greatest show on dirt right now. It truly is. And, uh, you know, all these racers have been into it. You know, they'd rather be part of it than not. And uh, for, the, for the drivers that beat their equipment up, you know, the reason they do it is for love of the sport it's in december they got two months to fix their stuff and it's it's two three days of the most incredible stone dirt race and it just really really is it's, uh, you know the, the super late model race and the mod race were just off the charts this year and it's it's a it's a must-see event and now we're going to be going on what uh four years i guess coming up and uh you know we we put about i guess right at i don't know twenty thousand people are more in there they make money uh you know the reason they make money is cost a little bit to go they got a lot of great sponsors it's on dirt vision pay-per-view and by the time by the time you have all the money up they make just enough to keep doing it and making it worthwhile yeah that's a you know what's awesome about that i raced for a bunch of years myself and us racers you know when we get on a really rough track every once in a while we're like oh man you know you kind of complain and you hear a lot of whining about it but it's it's crazy. I mean, the, the people want to be on that big stage. And uh, you really, as rough as the track was, I, I guess it had attitude, right? Um, you don't really hear it. I mean, at the end of the day, it was just entertaining for all. And it's something that I look forward to every year. I mean, they do a great job with that deal. Yeah, you're right. You, you'll have people that treat their race cars like a diamond. And then you'll have drivers that, they treat them like a diamond, but they know how to run rough tracks. I mean, I know, you know, our seven-time champion in modifieds, you know, Mike Harrison, he can run through rough tracks better than anybody I know. It doesn't affect him at all. He don't even bitch about it. He don't talk about it. But then you'll have guys like me and you, like, oh, there's a bump in the corner, you know. And we're just a little girl. We're just a little girl, man, because we're so into our chassis. You know, we kind of got an asphalt background. And, but those, those hardcore dirt racers, that's all they know. They grew up on dirt, so they don't care, and you know, and they just know. You know, they don't even complain about it. So yeah, when you go to, you know, the Gateway Dirt Nationals, you know, going into it, you know, you know, there, there's an old saying, just get get till Saturday. You know, it starts out super rough on Thursday, a little less rough on Friday. By the time you get to Saturday, you've weeded out all the cars that are going to wreck. When you get to Saturday, you have the best of the best. And, and they'll go green 15 straight laps. But, you know, you know, Thursday and Friday, you know, everybody's, you know, they all wreck, you know. And then, and then you get to the big show and, you know, the, the, the cautions are very rare. 
Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, I know you got to jump off here. We sure, we sure appreciate you jumping on here with us. It was fun to, fun to visit with you and hear some of the stories, you know, and, uh, Again, ladies and gentlemen, the Herminator Kenny Wallace, uh, one of the best. When we get back to racing, look for him to be in your area. He's always fun to watch. All right, King. Thanks a lot. And, uh, good talking to you. See you whenever I see you. We get all this coronavirus over. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks. Look forward to it. Look forward to it, buddy. Thanks a lot, man. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, special guest, Kenny Wallace, everyone. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Ryan, for getting that uh, set up for us. And a uh, great job kind of running that interview there. And, and uh, yeah, so big fan of the uh, – did he race the gateway last year? I, I remember the first year they were showing him testing, like leading up the week before. But oh. I, I guess I didn't remember seeing his name. Yeah, he he was there. And, actually, he talked about Gundaker. Uh, uh, actually, was it – which Gundaker? Uh, Kevin. Kevin Gundaker. He did the track prep at it. And speaking of the Gundaker, I, I just saw that Gordy's going to be racing uh, here this week. And, and Bert, why don't you talk a little bit about that? I know there's a, another iRacing race coming up with some of the big guns. Talk about that race. Yeah, there's, uh, it's, I believe it's called the Spring Fling. And it's uh, iRacing for uh, dirt late models. And I, it's 4,000 a win from what I understand. And I believe it's going to be broadcast on dirt on dirt uh facebook page and there's one drive one late model driver from eastern wisconsin who is going to be racing in that uh there's going to be 180 uh i racing drivers taking part and joe joe reuter from uh eastern wisconsin he's going to be racing he races late models during the summer and but he's also a big i racer and uh he's going to be participating in that also well, they obviously do qualifying. They have 180 cars, so guys are going to, like, not qualify and be out, or how does this work? Are they yeah, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how the qualifying works. Um, I don't know if, if so many drivers race one night and so many drivers race the next night, and they're all trying to qualify for the final night. Um, that I'm not sure on, but, uh, you know, 100 – 180 drivers, that's like the World 100 back in the 80s. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they were going to do dual heats for that, but Davenport got mad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. I did see a couple oh, other notables. Just to mention, uh, you know, I see B-Shep's going to race in that. I see uh, Bobby Pierce, um, Gordy Gundaker we talked about, Mike McKenzie, uh, modified guy, Ricky Thornton Jr., um, there's a bunch of notable guys in that. And, and this deal was planned, from what I understand, before this whole COVID-19 deal. This is something they've been working on and kind of putting together. Four grand to win. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good payday for a video game. What's <laughs> wrong with that? Yeah, what's the investment to get? I mean, you know, I mean, the investment to get in is, you know, especially compared to a regular race car penny. So, no, that that makes sense to me. You know, speaking of the of the iRacing deal, I got to be honest, you know, I, I've been a racer. I've been a fan. I'm on the, you know, I, I help with the marketing at a racetrack. I've been kind of involved with all aspects. I got to be honest, I'm concerned. I, I really am because it kind of fits that need for some people, right? And and uh, you heard Herm talking about, you know, hey, it's, it's hard to get people. There's so much other stuff to do. It's hard to get people to the track, right? And this is just one more thing for other people to do. And you know, for the youngsters growing up, you know, it's one thing. Mom and dad could go spend a couple grand and buy them an iRacing setup. 
their kid could race multiple times a day, every single day, not have to work on the car. Once it's paid for, it's done, right? But on the flip side of that, they're not going to go spend that same money or more to bring them to the racetrack, put them in a race car. So is this, I mean, if we promote this too much, is it going to keep some people maybe in tuned with that instead of coming to the racetrack? And, and time will tell. I mean, you diehard race fans and stuff, they're going to be like, man, I'm just itching to get to the racetrack. But we're looking to build. We need to build the fan base. We need to get the fan base back to what it once was. And I believe that's possible with some of the entertainment stuff we were talking about with Herm. But, you know, if, if they have other alternatives where they're still r racing and competing and doing all that, what's your guys' thoughts? Well, I, I mean, I think you have some legitimate concerns uh, just from the fact that it's cheaper. And let's be honest, there, I mean, a lot of high schools, if not most high schools, don't even have a shop class anymore. So, you know, these kids aren't even learning the ins and outs of, of the cars. And the cars that they are learning about, I mean, the street cars are nothing compared to what, you know, the race cars are. So you're losing somewhat some participants just because they don't know how cars work and you know with the i racing you can put a car together you smash it you just hit the reset button and and you go it it's not a huge financial risk to learn on the fly well speaking of hitting the reset button right <laughs> you got to be careful about that right because uh bubba wallace right Evidently, he played enough iRacing games where he just, like, quit, hit the reset button, do the rage, quit, I'm done. Um, Bert, I know you did a little research on this. What happened with Bubba Wallace? Talk, talk about that. Well, apparent, well, he got into an altercation with uh, Clint Boyer on the track in the iRacing NASCAR race yesterday. And uh, I didn't realize what was – I was actually watching it, and I didn't realize what was going on when they said that he quit racing. Uh, but yeah, uh, he lost his sponsor uh, because he quit racing. I believe his sponsor was Blue, Blue Emu. And uh, I'm not sure what, what kind of company it is. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he quit right away. And then he went to Twitter and was, you know, making comments. And you just can't do that these days when you have to please your sponsors. <laughs> it's one thing to be playing with your buddies or just playing online and be like, hell with it, I'm done with this game, I'm done. But when you look at it, I mean, they're, they're actually, all these sponsors and, and NASCAR and, and the World of Outlaws and Lucas Oil, they're using iRacing as a tool to promote their sponsors for the drivers, the tracks, the series. I mean, they're, they're trying to still give value to the sponsors giving them money and I just don't think he thought about it. I think he just kind no. of just jumped off and didn't even think about it. But uh, I guarantee it, it probably won't happen again, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, who knows? We could be talking a month, two months down the road. We're still – this is still the way to race. And, man, that's yeah, I mean, deal. Never, never in my mind did I think somebody would lose a, lose a sponsorship over a video game. But that that's just crazy. That's what this world is coming to. I'm sure he was thinking, oh, it's just a game. It's no big deal. And I'm not sure if the quitting part is what got his sponsor upset or if it was the fact that he went to Twitter right away and started spouting off about different things. And he was kind of making fun of the game, you know, well, I'm done racing now and, you know, you guys go have your fun. And, you know, that's why I don't have a Twitter account. 
<laughs> hey, I, you're pretty quiet anyway, man. I can't imagine how me, right? I'm probably the one people are saying, oh, a-hole should not have a Twitter account, especially when I was racing. We used to have a deal called, well, it's still up and going. It's a 2020 page. And uh, now there's a 2020 page on Facebook, but back in the day, it was the 2020 page. I remember that. <laughs> and, oh, boy. I mean, it was basically, it was like a venting forum because everybody would come on and, and they'd air all the dirty laundry, like, you know, this guy's cheating and the track sucked and this and that and the other. And probably it hurt racing. We didn't think about it at the time, but all that negative publicity, just complaining and complaining, you know, the casual person looking at that going, why in the world would I want anything to do with that? Are you kidding me? And, uh, yep. boy, if, if, you know, you, you learn this stuff 5, 10, 15 years later, I wish we could hit a reset button on life, right? And kind of go back and go, yeah, that was a mistake. Not going to do that again. Not going to do that again. But uh, I guess some of those mistakes make us a, to, into the person we are today. So I guess it is what it is. Can't look back with too much regret, but – I think Bubba Wallace probably has a little bit of regret right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully that doesn't kind of follow suit with him and, and have people saying, man, look at this guy. He's all negative. We don't want to be partnered up with him. You know, because he is a talented race car driver, and, and mm -hmm. I hate to see people lose opportunities. Yep, yeah. I agree. Yeah, young guy. Young guy, you don't want to follow, you know, have them follow that around you know, through his whole career. I've got something, Ryan, going back to your concerns on the – I racing and you know the I have four kids for those of you that don't know and I have a 14 year old and when he discovered YouTube about five years ago and it wasn't just him it was all his, his buddies too because I was coaching all these kids in hockey at the time when they found YouTube the first thing they started doing was watching other people play video games and so translate that to I racing you got this fan now that's 14 say 15 year old 13 year old they think nothing of watching other people play video games. That is what I see as the biggest potential threat for iRacing. And here's just another fact, and I'll let you guys comment. Um, I was kind of writing it down, just talking to him the other day. So my son on television has never watched a Major League Baseball game. He's 14, end to end, okay? He's never watched an NFL football game from end to end. And the other day, and this is their generation, this isn't just him, because of probably, again, because of YouTube, he didn't even know what MTV was. None of my kids, 14, <laughs> 14, 12, 11, 10, knew what MTV was. Now, of course, in our generation, you know, MTV was like the coolest thing, you know, going on. So I guess part of it is talking about that threat of iRacing, and part of it is, is to promoters. You know, if you're a 50-year-old promoter, you, you got to look at the world completely upside down versus the way that you grew up when you were a teenager been saying that all along you know and, and that's something that you know you think about nascar we just had herm on here you just you just think about nascar when i was watching nascar back in the day the drivers were different right i, I was a huge dale earnhardt fan there was a lot more personalities but I'm, I'm not lying when i say i personally enjoyed that show more than the actual race i mean because it was fun it was entertaining entertaining think about the super bowl right Think about how amazing Fox did with the pregame show and the, all that type of stuff. Even the, some people, there's drama with the halftime show. I'm a guy. I loved it. I thought it was great. Right? Awesome. A lot of free publicity on that deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in fact, we could just play that now because I know all the race times would much rather watch the Super Bowl halftime show. You know, there might be a couple that, that didn't, but I did. But uh, the fact is, it, the, the football game was good, right? 
but it appealed to all the different senses, right? The historians with the, you know, the 100th year, the, you know, the people that like disco music, or not disco music, but uh, salsa music and Latina, that, the Latino, that type stuff. You know, I mean, it appealed to everything. So there was something for everything. In racing today, guys, in racing, all you have is the race. And your diehard race fans, they're like, what do you mean? That's all we need. Yeah, that's all you need, right? But the fact of the matter is, there's not enough of them to fill the grandstands. And that's why Herm talked about specials, right? Special events are are still good because the diehard fans all come to those special events. But the diehard fans are like, eh, you know, a regular night, Friday, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, you know, we can go kind of anywhere. The specials are better because it's special. But the regular nights, it needs to be entertaining from the time you get there to the time you leave. Now, with that said, you know, you can't be adding a whole bunch of time to the program because you can't go from a three-hour race to a four-and-a-half-hour race because you added in all this junk. You're just going to make everybody mad, you know. But the fact is there's got to be something there for the kids, for the, for the people that are diehard race fans. There's got to be something different there for everybody to get them truly entertained. You've got to get them there and keep them there. That's a challenge right now. That's a struggle. I think it's totally possible. Um, we got we had some things planned in Rapids this year. I'm so excited about, but who knows if we're gonna have a season, right? So I guess maybe at the worst case scenario, we have an extra year to prepare for some of this stuff. But I hope that's not the case. I hope we're back racing uh, in May. That's kind of what I'm hoping. But but that's the key. So with the eye racing and the kids, you know, watching the video games, if if they're skipping out on going to the races in replacing it with iRacing or anything like that, that that says more about the race program than it does anything else because you're not keeping them entertained. You're not keeping them captivated. And, and that's where people got to look at it and say, hey, this ain't just a race anymore. This is motorsports entertainment. And we have to entertain a whole lot of people. And it's a challenge, but I think it's doable. And uh, it's, it's going to be fun to see which tracks really – fall into that category because I believe the ones that do are going to flourish and the ones that don't, they might not be here next year. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's going to be a tough year. Bert, any more comments on that or should we move on? No, I mean, I just, I agree. And those tracks who think that, well, we've always done it this way. Those are the tracks that are going to struggle. Totally. Speaking of a track canceling Puka, why don't you talk about that track down yeah. in Virginia? Yeah, that's where I wanted to go next was, uh, so a motor mile speedway down in the state of Virginia, they've decided just to cancel the entire season. Uh, no they had special events. They have, they have, they have events there where people rent the track outside of racing. So everything shut down. And, you know, I guess that's something that's reality these days. You know, the three of us, all you other race fans out there, you know, they might be reality, not necessarily every track or every state, but you know, there might be some promoters and clubs just saying, look, it's too hard. We can't raise money. We can't sell a sponsorship. We don't know where we're at financially. We don't know where we're going to be at. There's just too much uncertainty. We're throwing the towel in. Yeah, right now, we're just along for the ride, right? I'm helping the Grand Rapids Speedway. Bob Broking's the president up there. We put together a pretty cool schedule, and I'm actually, you know, a little bit helping the Hibbing Raceway, and, you know, I deal with a lot of promoters and drivers, and it's hard to really, I mean, first of all, we don't know how long this deal is going to last. I mean, you see all kinds of different stuff. You see like, hey, this could last till August or September. 
man, if that's the case, there is no racing, right? Some people are saying, oh, no, by the by, middle of May, we're done, we're back in it. You know, so number one, we got to wait to see how long this deal lasts. We just got to ride the wave. But number two, absolutely, I mean, we've we've gotten phone calls already from a lot of sponsors say, hey, you got to put things on hold. Heck, we haven't been open. We ain't got no money. You know, so that's going to hurt. And then you start thinking about, you know, for example, in Grand Rapids, I'll just give you an example there. You know, we're, we're doing an NLRA late model show, the Advantage RV Mod Tour, the Fastlane Superstock Series. We have the UMSS Sprint Cars coming in, the World of Outlaws coming in, the Challenge Series coming in. We got all these shows. Here's the deal. These shows are exciting. They're, they bring great drivers. It's great for the fans, but they all cost more money, right? The purse is significantly higher at all of these events. Therefore, it costs more for the fans to get in. Number one is the sponsorship dollars going to be there to pay these enhanced purse. And number two, to all the fans that, that are coming to support our race, they ain't working. Do they have extra money to pay an inflated ticket price to get in? Or should we be sticking to the, you know, the regular night stuff just, just so that they can afford to come to the races and not have to pay 20 bucks a ticket to get in? There's a lot of questions that are, are really going to be, you know, tough questions and tough tough situations for a lot of racetracks moving forward. And, you know, as a driver, man, the worst thing in the world is when they cut the purse. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, I think some tracks are going to have to. I mean, they might not have any money. You know, it just depends how things go. So I think everybody's just going to have to be patient. And everybody's going to have to work together and have a little bit of understanding to just make this whole deal work. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the most frustrating parts is, the uncertainty. I mean, you know, if if they could tell you, okay, middle of May, this will all be over. Let's let's do something. But you know, we could be in the exact same position we are right now in the middle of May. We we just don't know because this has never happened before. So that's the frustrating part. And well, another frustrating part is I don't know how it's been out in Western Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota the last couple of years, but. The last couple of years, we've always dealt with big snowstorms in the first part of April. For this year, the weather, all the snow's gone. The weather's nice, and the tracks could actually open on time, you know, if, if without the virus thing. That depends where you're at, because I was just talking to my buddies <laughs> up in North Dakota, and they got like a foot of snow up there. Now, they don't open till May anyway, but they got, I think, I think probably most of it melted or all of it melted, but they got a foot of snow here in the last four or five days or whenever it was, so... But yeah, I mean, whether it's, but here's the deal. When, when you get snowstorms or rain or whatever, that's not affecting businesses, right? And the businesses are the sponsors that are actually helping make things possible. And right now with this whole crisis, the, the businesses are actually the ones that are really suffering. You know, I, right. I saw, you know, Todd Narvison mentioned on Facebook, I saw he's a friend of mine that actually uh, Southern Minnesota tracks, he's involved with those. And he says, I really feel for the businesses. You know, and, and racing is a business, and we have a lot of businesses affiliated with racing, graphics guys, engine builders, chassis builders, parts vendors, all these places, but it's so much bigger than that. You know, you have all these regular businesses that maybe aren't directly affiliated with racing, and, and this is people's livelihoods. I mean, racing is such a, you know, for us, it's a big part of life, but in the grand scheme of things, it's just a small little part of the cog of everything that's going on. And uh, I think we just, again, we just got to be patient and see where, see where it goes. 
Yeah, it's going to be a tough year. It's going to be a year that uh, patronizing the sponsors that you see at the race is going to be more important than ever. That's for sure. So with that, uh, we're going to move on to the last lap segment where we have one to go. And on a little bit more positive note, I've got a little story here that you two can react to. Uh, uh, track down in Texas actually raced last week, I-37 Speedway. The promoter uh, got approval from the county. He put together at the last minute, put together a race. He got 40 teams to uh, pre-enter. They had to park like two uh, you know, pit slots apart, no pit meeting. They did that Facebook Live, no concessions. And they just, uh, you know, they went through the program and what they did to try and make money. And the promoter actually said, I heard an interview with him, said he actually broke even, about broke even was they just, you know, they put a pay-per-view together online. They went out and sold some ads. And he thinks that if he had a little bit more lead time, because he did it on a Wednesday and they raced on Saturday. So he said he figures if he had a little bit more time, he might've been able to pull it off profitably. So, and he said he was a little disappointed at the pay-per-view audience because he thought, well, geez, we're the only ones racing. One of the only real sports going on. So he's going to try it again, go back to the County. And he, the, but the thing he said, he said, you know, even after we got permission, we knew that any minute, any hour, they could call and say, wait, we changed our mind. We're shutting you back down. So, but he said he was willing to maybe try it again, a little bit more lead time, try to get more sponsors, get the word out that it's going to be out there. So, for all of you that are really dying for some live racing and not eye racing, I-37 Speedway in Texas. I, that blows my – was it fanless? It was fanless, right? Everything was, was fanless. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe I didn't mention that. Completely fanless, yeah. So, as a race – when I raced, I mean, there, again, it, there was a significantly different feeling of winning in front of, say, two, 300 people or winning in front of, say, four, 5,000 people. Totally different deal, Right. I heard, I think it was Charles Barkley talking about it. It's like, you can't go fanless in the NBA. I mean, the fans and the, the athletes and the drivers, we feed off the fans, right? You know, the energy that they have around there, it just, oh man, I mean, hats off to them for trying it. As a driver, it's like, I don't even know if I'd, I'd have any interest in going. I mean, I guess. Oh, you're a driver. You're going to race a car if you have an opportunity to race a car. <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> but but back, I was going to say, back in the day when I was chasing points, I'm sure I would have been there for sure. But now now that I haven't been in the car for a few years, I guess now it's easy to say that. But because racers are always trying to scratch that itch. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's a passion slash addiction, however you want to put it. I got to be careful because we're a racing show, but... I had that addiction. I think I kind of crossed that line a few times, but it, it, it's just, I don't know if it's worth it. I mean, it's like, you know, you got the, you got all these sponsors and stuff and if they're not getting a lot of pay-per-view, yeah, people are getting the race, but it's just, I don't know. To me, it's just not the same. I mean, it, you're. Oh no, I agree with that. It's not yeah. the same. Yeah. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Puka, you said they're doing that again. Well, he was going to try. He was going to try and get permission again. He said, we're going to go back to the courthouse check with the county, you know, because of course, like you said, we just don't know what's going to happen as Corona is evolving, but they were going to try and get a permit again and then try it again. But he said, he said he wanted more lead time in order to get some sponsorships in place to promote the pay-per-view. So, but he said he about broke even. So yeah, uh, it was, it was I, I, an interesting story. <laughs> yeah. I can see how they could make it work financially for sure. Um, just a, just a totally different animal. That That's just a craziness of the world right now. People are like, I mean, we're trying to get fans in the stands, and he's like, heck, we'll run without them. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Hmm, that's weird. <laughs> well, and we talked about that on the podcast. What kind of effect, you know, and we kind of have said, you got to embrace that the digital side of racing and the Facebook lives that are going on at your track. You have to find a way to leverage that 
because that's clearly the way the world's going. And, and so, you know, this guy, obviously the, the switch flipped for him a long time ago and said, Hey, we, you know, he, he figured, you know, or is trying to figure out a way to make this work because he knows technology, you know, we live in an app world. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, Central does a great job with that. I mean, they, they, they do a lot of the Wasota stuff and around, around our region and, you know, them guys really, you know, there's a lot of people that watch that stuff. There really is. And if you think about the big sports, I mean, if you take the NFL, you know, they, they make a lot of money on ticket sales, but it, it's just a small fraction of what they make on TV, right? You know, so there, there's something and, to it, but it better be entertaining. And that's why I think, well, not just racing-wise, but I think the other major sports – will probably look into playing games without fans because of the TV contracts. The networks are, you know, they're replaying games, you know, old games. Hey, by the way, did you catch the, on Fox yesterday, the Packers in the Super Bowl beating the Steelers? I love you like a brother, man, but that, that stings a little bit. I got to be honest. I just flip right on past anything Packers winning. I just flip right on past that. That was the 1995. What's that? That was 95. No, that was, that was, no, that was that, uh, 2010. Yeah. Rogers was a quarterback yeah. there. That was, I saw there was, there was a catch by Greg Jennings where Palomalu just lit him up and uh, he held on to the ball. And that was a big play in that game. So I, I may have watched a little bit of that. But, yeah, I, I hear uh, next week's game is going to be Green Bay versus the Patriots. That was in 95, 96 when they won yeah. that with Favre as the quarterback. Why but anyway. Show, why can't they show him against the Broncos? I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> check the listings for the Vikings Super Bowl game on TV. Or they, oh, that's right. The Vikings did make the Super Bowl. They just never won the Super Bowl. So, all right. Anyway, man. back to man. back to man. the major. I saw a story. I didn't read the story, but the headline was Major League Baseball is exploring playing games without fans at spring training stadiums. So I didn't read the article, but apparently Major League Baseball is, is, is exploring that. And you got to figure that the networks want games of some sort, whether there's fans there or not. You look at the Major League Baseball games in the middle of the summer, you know, in the middle of the week, I mean, they're they're empty. I mean, it looks empty. I mean, they hold a lot of people, but there ain't many people there during the week. So, again, that's where the, the TV stuff really comes in, the advertising. It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, I can see maybe NASCAR following suit and doing the same thing. I mean, who knows? You know, if it goes too long down the road, maybe they will go fanless on some of this stuff. It's hard to say though because yeah. people really, no, really feed off the fans. But it, it'll be fun to watch. I'll have to I'll have to kind of stay in tune on that as well. And uh, we got some news there, Puka Jody Belfi. Yeah, Jody Belfi looks like he's going to jump into a late model racing for the Essie brothers. Are they've been out of it for a while, correct? The Essie brothers haven't had a late model, have they? Well, I think Dave had a late model. He probably had the twenty-one car. I don't think he oh, ran it much. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. Thinking, uh, yeah you you're thinking you're thinking Tom, but yeah, Dave Dave yeah. had he's going to run for Dave. And uh, sounds like he's going to run uh, the Gondekloss Speedway in, in Superior, Wisconsin, Halverline Speedway in, of course, Proctor, Minnesota, and then he might run a few other things. And, you know, I, I'm kind of interested to see this. Jody's a heck of a wheel, man, and, and a, a late model is kind of a momentum-type deal. 
and and that's how he runs his mod. So I think he's going to have a good transition into that for sure. Awesome. And just a couple of birthdays we uh, need to go from last week. Uh, Daryl the Hammer Nelson turned 51 on April Fool's Day, so Wednesday of last week. And Brian Shirley the Squirrel, 39 on Thursday last week. So happy birthday to both of them. And I think that pretty much wraps it up for Well, hey, what I'm going to do there, Puka, I'm going to pull up uh, – I actually, I actually, while we were talking here, I pulled up a couple pictures of Herm for, for you oh. fans. Uh, I, I got a couple things for you to check out, so bear with me one second here. So, guys, this is this is when he actually came up. It was Wednesday, July sixth. Him and Schrader came up together to the Hibbing Raceway did a American Cancer Society fundraising event with them guys. And initially, um, you know, Kenny Wallace was just going to drive Jeff Provenzino's rocket late model. And then he ended up getting into John Carpenter's modified. And then also he got into this hot rod right here. And you can see my buddy Nads up there in the, you know, with, with the Mohawk going on. And, you know, there's, there's Kenny sitting there in the El Camino. And uh, funny story about that guys is he was actually uh, running really well in it, and he got ran down in the infield. Um, and basically, the other person spun out. They kind of parked it, and they put him to the back. And it ended up being a 16-year-old girl, Emily Nosey. And my, my daughter was giving him a little grief afterwards because we were all parked together. So kind of a funny story about him in an El Camino race car. And uh, this right here is when he actually won the 2005 Prelude to the Dream. Um, and I didn't realize that was a cantilever car. So that, that's actually pretty interesting to hear uh, um, a suspension that actually nobody even sees anymore. So kind of a neat deal. So a couple, couple cool little pictures there of the El Camino that he drove up at the Hibbing Raceway. Pretty, pretty fun stuff. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So that's about it, fellas? Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. I tell you what, uh, you know, great show, guys.